Hey folks, another busy week of legal news. Less than three weeks after being convicted of murder in Minnesota, Derek Chauvin has been indicted by a grand jury on federal civil rights charges. The indictment also charges three other officers in connection with the killing of George Floyd. Meanwhile, there's more news in the DOJ's investigation of Rudy Giuliani. In an unsealed letter, prosecutors in the Southern District of New York asked a judge to appoint an outside lawyer to review the materials seized in the raid of Giuliani's home. And Bill Barr is back in the news. A federal court judge has taken the unusual step of criticizing him for being disingenuous about a secret internal DOJ memo. Joyce Vance and I discuss all this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. And for a limited time, use the code JOYCE for 50% off the annual membership price. We look forward to having you as part of the Insider community. Okay, Derek, Sh- <laughs> Derek Chauvin, who murdered George Floyd, was convicted on all three state counts. But since we have last met, there has been you know, a pretty significant development. And I wonder if it's confusing to people. And it's even a little bit confusing, as we were discussing earlier, to you and me. Derek Chauvin and the three other officers who were involved in the incident with George Floyd have all been indicted federally on federal civil rights charges. And people might ask the question, I guess there's a few questions, why, if there was a successful prosecution of Derek Chauvin in the state, isn't there something in this country called double jeopardy protection, which means that you can't be charged twice for the same conduct or involving the same facts? What's the point of the successive prosecution, why is it being done now, et cetera. You want to take Those a shot? Those are really good you want, questions, You want to right? take a shot? It's complicated and it's interesting. And it's something within the discretion of the Civil Rights Division at the Justice Department. Before we get to what the particular federal charges are, why isn't this a double jeopardy issue? So the reason that the federal government can bring this criminal case is because of something called the separate sovereign principle. That means that double jeopardy only applies to the same sovereign. And if that language is confusing to you, it was confusing to me until I first had this explained to me a really long time ago as as a young prosecutor when we encountered this situation. The state of Alabama can't bring two different prosecutions for the same crime. Federal government can't, say, lose at trial and then reindict the defendant. But separate sovereigns can indict. The state of Alabama could bring one case. The federal government could bring one case. And that would not violate the principle of double jeopardy. Yeah. I mean, there's there have been cases about this. There's a Supreme Court case not that long ago in 2019, Gamble v. United States, that reaffirmed this doctrine. And it basically, it may not make a lot of sense to some folks, but the concept and the principle is they're distinct offenses because there are different statutes And there are different jurisdictions, i.e. different sovereigns. And so those kinds of things can be done. However, you might be asking, well, does that make sense? What then prevents the federal government when they have jurisdiction and venue from just prosecuting everyone the state prosecutes all the time? For example, that could be true of all drug offenses. That could be true of many gun offenses. And obviously you don't see that. And part of the reason you don't see that is as a general matter, it would be a waste of resources. It's not the best way for 
the government to spend its time, the federal government, if the, the rights of victims and if justice was vindicated through the state and local proceeding. And in fact, there's a policy within the Justice Department that I call the Pettit policy. The was, Petit policy. It's spelled P-E, this is again, we're getting back to these these word choices and pronunciations. It's, it's spelled P-E-T-I-T-E. I've always heard it pronounced in the Southern District as the Pettit policy, although it's spelled the way that, <laughs> that you're saying it. <laughs> And it basically says, as a matter of discretion and guidance within the department, some conditions must be met for the federal government to take the time and effort and resources to prosecute something, a course of conduct that has already been prosecuted by the state. And usually, as you and I were discussing earlier, that's done in civil rights cases and other cases where there was a result that was against justice below. So, for example, in the Rodney King case, right, there's an acquittal. In the state, that would normally mean, it would always mean that the state can't re-prosecute, but the federal government can. And you understand why they would want to do that, because the feeling was that justice was not done, and those folks escaped accountability, so the federal government comes in. It is less common when you have a successful prosecution in the state, as we had in the Derek Chauvin case, and among other things, the policy in its current form says that federal prosecutors are generally not allowed to initiate or continue a federal prosecution following a prior state or federal prosecution unless three substantive prerequisites are satisfied. One, the matter must involve a substantial federal interest. Two, the prior prosecution must have left that interest demonstrably unvindicated. And that's an interesting one. And three, applying the same test that is applicable to all federal prosecutions, the government must believe that the defendant's conduct constitutes a federal offense and the admissible evidence probably will be sufficient to obtain a conviction, et cetera, et cetera. Were those things met here? I think starting with Rodney King is the right place to explain Petit, because you have a situation where there's an enormous federal interest in having constitutional policing, and it doesn't get vindicated in that case in Los Angeles a couple of decades ago. And so fast forward to this case, it's a very different situation. You have a conviction of one of the four police officers involved. It makes sense to me that DOJ had gone to the grand jury, gotten indictments and sealed them so that in the event Chauvin had been acquitted or the jury had hung, they could have immediately arrested him. What's a little bit more interesting here is why they feel like the, and I, when I say the, why, why DOJ and the current leadership thinks that the federal interest in this case wasn't vindicated by this conviction, right? That's a little bit of an open question. Yeah, and the timing of it. I mean, there's some criticism, notably Andrew uh, Andrew McCarthy of uh, National Review Online. You know, there's an argument that, I'm not being critical of this, but there's an argument that, especially since there was a conviction and there remains a trial pending with respect to the three other officers, that this has an effect on the jury pool and prejudices them in a situation where it's hard enough to find people who have not already formed an opinion of the conduct of these officers or about the guilt of these officers, the statute of limitations is very far from running out. And what you often have is the Justice Department as a backstop, like you had in the Rodney King case, and they wait in the wings and they see what's going to happen. And, you know, th there's an argument, and I'll let, because this is your, you know, pretty, pretty, I think, interesting and smart conjecture that with respect to the three other officers who have not yet been tried, Maybe there's a hope and an aspiration to get a global resolution 
with respect to those three officers who would have an incentive maybe to plead guilty and not go to trial to resolve both the state charges and the federal charges, right? That's Isn't that your theory? That seems like the logical assumption in this situation. Everybody wants to plead guilty. Everybody wants to serve their time in federal custody, not in state custody. And so these indictments are a vehicle for those sorts of global plea agreements to happen. It would be a little bit unusual to indict. Usually when people are going to plead guilty and you know that before they're charged, you use an information. You don't go to the grand jury. So people understand. An indictment is something, is a charging instrument that is uh, voted upon by a grand jury, which is members of the community, 23 of them sitting in a federal grand jury. Defendants have the right or subjects have the right to waive indictment by grand jury and they can consent to having a charging instrument filed against them, which is just an allegation by the United States attorney, and that's called an information. So when we're talking about a global resolution, we're talking about a simultaneous resolution of multiple charges by the separate sovereigns, the state, and the federal government. And everyone agrees jointly that there is repose for the defendant going forward. In other words, you don't settle one thing, resolve one thing, and then have the other one pending. You do them all together so that the defendant, among other things, has a general understanding of how they're going to fare at sentencing and and not be surprised by resolving one case but leaving another case open. And by resolve, obviously, I mean plead guilty to the charges. We should also point out, I forgot to mention, that there are two charges, two separate charging documents against Derek Chauvin, one in connection with what everyone is familiar with, the killing of George Floyd, but the other with respect to a different incident from 2017, where Derek Chauvin is alleged to have violated the rights of an adolescent by putting his knee on the back of that adolescent during a a confrontation. So that's sort of separate. We can put that to the side. There's a clear reason why you want to do that, because no state authority has charged Derek Chauvin with the earlier incident. So that makes sense. But with respect to recharging Chauvin or charging Chauvin federally with respect to the George Floyd murder, how do you explain that? Here's my rank conjecture. Okay. If if there is a global plea agreement, one of the terms of that plea agreement would be that the defendants, including Chauvin, would waive their right to take an appeal. In other words, they would get the benefit of serving their time in federal prison, which is a pretty good benefit if you've ever seen most state prison systems. And there's no litigation risk to prosecutors, federal or state, from the appeal. That seems like a smart resolution here. And since, based on what we've already seen, there's really, Chauvin doesn't have any great grounds for appeal. I mean, his lawyers can make arguments, but they don't look like the kind of arguments that are successful. That would probably be a good resolution for everybody. Do you think there's something else going on here? I mean, we know some of the people involved. Vanita Gupta, who used to head the Civil Rights Division at DOJ, is now the Associate Attorney General, the number three person at the Justice Department, who I am positive is closely overseeing this. Lisa Monaco, who's the Deputy Attorney General, and Merrick Garland has talked at some length and with great conviction about the need to be more aggressive with respect to civil rights prosecutions and to reinvigorate the Civil Rights Division of the Justice Department, that this is one of a series of things that the Justice Department has done to both hold people accountable and to signal to the country that they're not messing around anymore. I mean, Merrick Garland has announced two pattern or practice investigations with respect to Louisville 
Kentucky, and Minneapolis police departments. There have been multiple other things that they have announced. They've been pretty forceful in the rhetoric they have used. And do you think there's just something to the to the idea that they're going to take every opportunity to bring federal resources to bear on anything resembling police brutality, whether or not the state has done something already? I think that's absolutely right. Leadership matters. And when you've got Vanita Gupta, who didn't just run the civil rights division, but who spent her career aggressively litigating civil rights cases, and she's the one suddenly who's advising the attorney general, along with Lisa, who, although her career, I think, has been more in the mainstream of criminal prosecutions, she's always been— And national security. Yeah, and national security. And, and, you know, Lisa has always, I think, maintained a personal interest and a focus on civil rights issues. So that kind of leadership makes a big difference. And it's worth underlining the fact that these cases, Chauvin and the others, were originally indicted by the state. And the Minnesota attorney general stepped in and became the lead prosecutor on these cases. DOJ was nowhere near this situation. And at least in my district, this is the kind of setting where we might have talked with state prosecutors and agreed that the cases would go federal initially. In some ways, this action signifies that DOJ really is back and really is going to be intentional in the civil rights space. What do you make of Andy McCarthy's criticism? This was unnecessary, premature, and may prejudice the rights of the remaining defendants. Well, it doesn't matter if there's going to be a plea agreement, and part of the plea agreement suppose is suppose there's no not, appeal. As, you, as you point out, that's, yeah. that's conjecture on our part. I think he has a fair point. If this case goes on appeal, and if they argue pretrial prejudice, then there's no doubt that DOJ announcing new indictments is something that the defense will, will argue about. But, you know, the reality is DOJ, like it does in all press conferences and in all press releases on new indictments, they're really careful to say that these are just charges, that they're, they don't indicate proof, they don't indicate, you know, any, any sort of um, assumption of guilt. So there's that. And also, this is a tough case. It was always going to be tough to get a jury where no one had heard about George Floyd's murder. So that's baked in to some extent. I I would feel pretty good on appeal about winning those arguments as the prosecution. We should briefly touch upon what the actual federal charges are against these folks. And some of the counts apply to to Derek Chauvin. Some of the counts apply to the other officers who were at the scene. And there are three of them. And they all allege. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. And for a limited time, use the code Joyce for 50% off the annual membership price. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.